We have a cold open this week, and uh, since we're talking One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, we thought we'd discuss uh, other films in which our protagonist is not successful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, did you not do the homework? I did, and then I, <laughs> my brain broke. Cause, um, yeah, because I, yeah. No, I can think of one, but I hate that I'm going to think of it. That, that It's the one that I think of. Well, go ahead and throw it out there before Jonathan or Zach steals it from you. Oh, I was going to say Infinity War, and I because I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have so, I have so many conflicting feelings with the goddamn movie, and it's just like the protagonists don't win, but I'm like, also oh, it's half a fucking movie. But anyway, I, um, I, I love it because like half of our interactions on Twitter have been me agreeing with your opinions. <laughs> on <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could do Empire Strikes Back. See, that was what I was expecting oh. from you. There we yeah, go. yeah, that's a well, good that one. Way, and that, that see, that's that one. What's interesting about like I have a lot of opinions on both those films. With Empire Strikes Back, it's like no one wins. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Nobody wins. It all, yeah. it's a stalemate at the end. Every yeah. like I remember growing up, and everyone's like the bad guys wins. Like now that I'm like you know an old man, I'm like no, they don't. They they really don't. I mean, no none wins aside from. Han getting frozen, no one really gets the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no one only person who gets what they want is Boba Fett. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't been paid yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And he's not much of a character anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, unless you watch the holiday special before then. <laughs> well, you gotta be doing yeah. that. Yeah. Because I'm always gonna bring up the holiday special. <laughs> as one should. As one should. <sighs> uh, uh Oof, what is another film we can think of? Um, yeah, those are the two that came to my mind when, I, when, you, when you pitched it, but I well, can't think of anything else. Yeah. We'll circle back around and see if you come yeah. up with anything after uh, Jonathan and Zach go. go. So, uh, which one of you gentlemen wants to go? I'll go because Zach's going to steal mine. I okay. might not. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, Zach <laughs> no, is I figured the, Zach might go uh, a little obscure. Zach is our pick stealer here, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, seven. It's a big oh, okay. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, Cabin in the Woods. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I don't think anybody wins on that one either, but uh, also, like, there really wasn't a hero, but then again, if you look at the company as the hero... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's why I said protagonist and not hero, because yeah, well, yeah, right. your protagonist yeah. well, can be the, the villain. And I gotta tell you, because I have zero creativity, um, I always look up lists online first, <laughs> and it's kind of hard to distinguish them from, like, when the protagonist loses to when the villain wins. Because some of the times, like the villain becomes the hero in some kind of way. So I don't know. It was, it was a tough one to find. Uh, but my last one was Ex Machina. Oh, oh yeah. That's, that's a, a great pick. Yeah. So that's uh, I, nice. yeah, it's a good one. So, all right, Zach, did I steal any? No, actually. Um, I've only got Damn. four. I, I figured I wouldn't go too deep. Um, I have two that are kind of connected to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in a way. Uh, one being Chinatown with the Jack Nicholson collect, uh, connection. Yeah. And that's another one where nobody really wins, <laughs> but you know, the protagonist doesn't succeed. Um, and then kind of a thematic connection. I went with Brazil. Oh, um, yeah. 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 That's a good one. And uh, 12 Monkeys. Yep. And then finally, I went with No Country for Old Men. Um, 
Yeah, that one was on every <laughs> list I found. My <laughs> that wife was like just, the top one. My wife just stuck her head out and said Jurassic Park. <laughs> um yeah, they survive. But that's a good that's a good that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. The, the T Rex yeah. wanted to eat everybody, she said. Okay. So the T Rex, so it doesn't fit. The T Rex was totally the protagonist. The T Rex just wanted to hug somebody. Oh. Yeah. yeah. T Rex just wanted to hug somebody? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. But he's got a big head and little arms. Yeah. Oh that that's it. That's what she was saying. Oh, okay. All right. So okay. We both made the Meet the Robinsons connection. About to say. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Yeah. Is that all, Zach? That's all for me. What do you got, Paul? Uh, Adam, anything else that jog any memories there? I mean, I, I was looking at like also some, like there's some other ones, but I, I'm honestly, I'm going to stick with Infinity War uh, because I think it actually ties into what I think works well with One Flew's Over the Cuckoo's Next and what doesn't work with Infinity War. This is a good, uh, this is a good uh, comparison point uh, oh, for both. Okay. So. Nice. All right. I'll um, save them for later. Yay. I like teases. Uh, Evil Dead slash Evil yeah. Dead 2. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sure. No, but nobody wins there. Uh, and uh, the first three Planet of the Apes films. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. 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 I mean, mm. pretty much you have uh, Heston gets stuck on the planet, can't get back to get back in time. So. And finding out that it's his planet, not some other planet, is definitely defeating. Uh, then the second one, an atomic bomb just blows up the entire planet. So this is a bonkers ending, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so wild. And then, uh, of course, the number three, uh, uh, Zira and Cordelius are shot, and right, uh, Caesar lives on. And I guess he wins in the fourth one, but also. Uh, one of my dogs is bothering me for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, that's that's essentially where I go because uh, I'm always going to try to bring Planet of the Apes into these conversations. <laughs> yeah. Fair. All right. Very good. Yeah. All right. Want we'll to talk about a movie? Let's talk about a movie. Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And joining us on this episode is writer and producer and Twitter countdown man, Adam Lance Garcia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really <laughs> happy to be here. No, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Uh, and we are your Oscar Grouches. And welcome back to the Oscar Worsity Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if the Academy went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Jonathan? Today, we're talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, a film about a scrappy ne'er-do-well committed to a psychiatric hospital to determine if he's insane instead of going to prison. Inside, he finds the power of friendship and that there's not a single fucking good person in this entire film. Man, uh, that went on for a while. Dude, I got some <laughs> words about this movie. Oh, I like words. All right. <laughs> Is this everyone's first time seeing this film? Yes. No. No for me? Uh, yeah, I was uh, uh, sort of ashamed to say, yeah, first time I've seen this film. 
Don't feel bad. Don't feel yeah. bad. Yeah. It's Let nice me ask to you not be the only filthy casual. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you then, Adam, why was this the film you picked to, to watch for the show? Oh, it, because it's a film that I've always wanted to see. Like, it's one of those, those everyone talks about how great it is. And it's a book that I really want to read. Uh, it's just one of those, it, it's one of those things when you go to film school, they talk about a lot and you think you've seen it because they talk about it so much and there's so many clips from it. And then when you get to a certain age, you'll realize like, I've never actually seen this <laughs> film. Like Die Hard. I thought I saw Die Hard. And then I saw Die Hard. I had not seen Die Hard before that. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, it was just one of those that I just really wanted. Uh, I always wanted to watch it. So, uh, perfect excuse. Thanks. Zach, when was the first time you watched this? So like you have your time in uh, high school and stuff when you were doing the AFI top 100, I often, um, picked movies randomly from the IMDB top 100 to pick. And, and this was always, I think it's still probably in the top 50. Um, so I picked it and watched it when I was about 20. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, with my Jack Nicholson obsession from the age of five, <laughs> uh, I found out he won an Academy Award for this and said, well, got to watch that. <laughs> and I did. How old were you when you watched it? <laughs> right after I, seeing Batman? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right after seeing Batman. We walked out of the theater. I said, please show me everything this man has done. <laughs> Papa, give me that movie. <laughs> one Flew Over uh, the Cuckoo's Nest actually is number 18 on the IMDb Top yeah. 100. In oh, between one. Parasite and Empire. Okay. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Dog, you, you do. <laughs> she, she's standing over here and her tail is wagging on the R2-D2 behind me. So it's... <laughs> I'm going to hear thumping on the episode now. Um... Yeah, and then uh, later on, when I moved back to Virginia from Illinois, um, I was in a production of the play. Oh. Now, I'm going to tell a story now, and I am very suspicious of this story. So keep that in mind when I say it. Uh, the director of the show said that she got word that Louise Fletcher was going to come and watch one of our, one of our shows. And one night she came back after the show and told the entire cast that she was sitting in the audience and some people freaked out about it. It's like, uh, I'm not saying she did it, but I'm not saying she did. <laughs> Nobody ever saw her to confirm it. Uh, the, the actress playing nurse ratchet said that she saw her. Um, mm, that's kind of sus. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Maybe Louise Fletcher saw me play an orderly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so that's where I'm at with that. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break it down. Okay. Um, it is. I, I don't have an actual weather report this week. I'm sad to say. Uh, so I'm going to make one up again. It is a balmy March 29th, 1976 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles. California. I was hoping you were going to go with Balmy. See, we've known each other too long. That's it's the problem. True. <laughs> um, our hosts this evening. Oh, man, what a list. Walter Matthau, the beautiful Robert Shaw, George Siegel, Goldie Hawn, and Gene Kelly. 
Also beautiful, but not in the same way as Robert Shaw. Um, And we have a change this evening. We are no longer being broadcast on NBC. We are on ABC again. Okay. Interesting to see if they swap back and forth because they're back on ABC now currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if they do or not. We will find out. But uh, it was, I think, five years that they went to NBC. Now they're back. All right. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is our most nominated film in the evening with nine. And it is our most awarded film of the evening with five. Uh, it wins Best Picture, picking up a uh, an Academy Award for Michael Douglas, who produced the film. Which is bonkers to me, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> So here's how this works. Um, Kirk Douglas originated the role of R.P. McMurphy on Broadway and bought the rights for for the film and tried to get it made for about 10 years and nobody was interested. So he just handed the rights over to his son. Wow. And then unknown Michael Douglas, which is, yeah. Yeah, and uh, his his first time producing on top of that. I really hope he does something else with his career. I hope he. I hope he gets some somewhere. Yeah, that Michael yeah. Douglas. It. It'd be nice. Uh, it'd be nice. You know these these movie star kids. They have a hard time. They have a, they hard, have a real time. hard time. Yeah. Uh, if only there was some kind of nepotism in Hollywood. All right. Uh, Cuckoo's Nest beats out. <laughs> Cuckoo's Nest beats out Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville. Oh, that's a really. That's a. That's, that's a, a. That's a. That's a. That's a damn good list. That is a very good list. We will discuss more about this list later. Our uh, best director goes to Milos Forman for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Best actor goes to Jack Nicholson, my God, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Louise Fletcher picks up best actress playing Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. George Burns, at the age of 80 makes his film return after 36 years to win a Best Supporting Actor Award for The Sunshine Boys. Yeah, a, oh, I love that movie. Yeah. That's a really charming one. She's a Virginian. Not anymore, <laughs> she's not. Uh, and he beats out Brad Dourif playing Billy Bibbit in One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. Brad Dourif, who I'm sure everyone is most familiar with as the voice of Chucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I always forget it when I'm watching this movie, but as soon as I see his name, I'm like, oh, yeah. That's right. I never forget it. Uh, the Child's Play movies are a deep love of mine. Mm. <laughs> I did not have a very good experience with them as a child. Now I can look it back and laugh. But Yeah. yeah, yeah I, had, I, I owned a My Buddy, and uh, oh God, I got rid of My Buddy after seeing... <laughs> Bye, buddy. A few times. Yeah. <laughs> after... Um, after Return to Oz broke me as a child, nothing else scared me, so I was fine. Okay. I fucked that movie. <laughs> Return to Oz did something completely different for me. That woke up something inside uh. of me. <laughs> something completely different. The, the, the Am I attracted girl? to people with wheels? No, I'm or attracted hands? to hot goth chicks. Uh. <laughs> it, it's pumpkin heads for me. Ah. <laughs> Also, uh, with his win, George Burns becomes the oldest actor to win an Academy Award. Nice. Get that out there. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Lee Grant for Shampoo. Best Original Screenplay goes to Dog Day Afternoon for Frank Pearson. And I'm excited to say 
that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest has done something that hasn't been done since it happened one night. And it won the top five Oscars by picking up Best Adapted Screenplay for Bo Goldman, Lawrence Halbin. Uh, oh. So it has been... 40 years? 40 years. 42. Hmm. Or 41, probably. Yeah. 40, 41, I think. I think yep. 34. Yeah. Sounds right. Uh, so, only the second film to make that distinction. Nice. Hmm. Uh, that is also the last Academy Award it wins for the evening. But uh, our best foreign language film goes to Dersu Uzala from the Soviet Union, a film that I'm sure we all love. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Top 10. Uh, Top 10. Uh, best documentary feature goes to The Man Who Skied Down Everest. I wonder what that's about. Uh, best doc- ski news. You never know, right? Uh, best documentary short subject goes to The End of the Game. Best live action short film goes to Angel and Big Joe. So congratulations to them. Uh, best animated short film goes to Great. <laughs> Turns out it was. Yeah, apparently. Some of these movies, they, they have these titles like uh, that awesome or terrific or something. I don't know. And it's like, how can you not give it to the award? I mean, it was... Yeah. Right, you'd be calling them a liar. Exactly. I mean, the fantastic Mr. Fox is fantastic, so great mm-hmm. must be great. Mm-hmm. So one of my first movies is going to be Oscar winner. Yeah, you go. How do you get it done? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just yep. Page one. Everybody knows what they're in for. I like exactly. It. And best original score brings us to our podcast within a podcast. John Williams Oscar Watch. John Williams picks up his second Academy Award for the screenplay of Jaws. Oh, really? The, the screenplay <laughs> of Jaws. The screenplay. That's what I said, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I told you I'm mockable. I, I advertised this up front. The, the score to Jaws. Well, to be fair, it does tell the story. Yes. All right. Nice hat. <laughs> Thank you. That's one good hat, Harry. That's hat's too small because I bought it when I was like 12. So what you're saying is you think you need a bigger hat or a smaller head. Uh, It's probably the latter. (laughs) Uh, Best scoring original song score and adaptation or scoring adaptation goes to Barry Lyndon somehow beating out Tommy. Wow. Which is an incredible musical. See me. If someone was going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, best original song goes to I'm Easy from Nashville, getting an Academy Award for Keith Carradine, who is the first composer to play his song in a movie. Oh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And also with as much Carradine talk as we've had on the Thursday show, that's just a nice little. Uh, yeah. Nice bridging. Yeah. yeah. And I know you love bridges. I love bridges. Especially in Madison County. Yeah. I was going to say, especially if they're named Bo. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, best sound goes to Jaws. Oh, and I need a backup uh, because of all the score making fun of me for being an idiot. Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest lost score, but not screenplay. Uh, all right. Uh, best costume design goes to Barry Lyndon. Best art direction goes to Barry Lyndon. Best cinematography goes to Barry Lyndon beating out One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
<laughs> You're just having a great time over there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading about um, the costumes on Barry Lyndon. Some of the costumes are actually pieces of them or parts of them are actually like from the 1700s. And then they wove them into anyway. We'll talk about huh. that. No, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and best film editing goes to Jaws, beating out one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nice. Um, the Irving G. Thalberg Award goes to Mervyn Leroy. The Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award goes to Jules C. Stein. Special Achievement Awards go to Albert Whitlock and Glenn Robinson for visual effect work on the Hindenburg. And Peter Burkos for sound effect work on the Hindenburg. And co-founder of United Artists Mary Pickford gets an honorary award in recognition of her unique contribution to the film industry and the development of film as an artistic medium. Well done. Adam, by the way, this is my big book of Oscar trivia. Ah! It only goes up to 2002 because that's when I bought it. Well, there's the whole 20, 19 years there that you got to get. But, you know, there's also the internet now. So, yeah. <laughs> the internet's lied to us a couple times. Oh, a couple? At least, yeah. At least been exclusionary. Yeah. Yeah. All right, gents. Let's talk about this movie. Yes. Let's talk yes. about this movie. Okay. <laughs> oh, this movie is dangerous. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start yeah. off by saying when I look at a lot of movies, I always try to see if there's a deeper meaning within it. And I look to see what is the lesson that's learned from this movie. There is not a single fucking lesson you should take from this movie at all. Nothing, nothing at all. As somebody who has worked with people with uh, mental illnesses for 10 years, I holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering, to look back. <laughs> I was wondering what your perspective was going to be. Holy crap. I mean, like, I. I think the theme of uh, that life should lie somewhere in the middle of authoritarianism and hedonism is kind of strong. Okay. So like, don't do anything anybody here is doing basically and find the middle ground. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) I spent a lot of this movie going, when's Jack going to learn his lesson? Like, when is he going to be the good guy? And then, we get that ending, which then you're like, am I, am I supposed to root for chief now? Cause no, <laughs> um, I, oh, man, this was a tough movie and an amazing movie, but a tough movie for me to watch just cause seeing how some of the, because <sighs> this was how people with mental illnesses were treated in hospitals at that time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there are even some that are still doing things like physical restraints and things like that, that bug the piss out of me and having to sit there and watch, yes, a movie, but it's still the training that I've had that showed what they've done back then. It's, it's rough and it's pretty damn close to how things were. So, um, other than that, I I just yeah Jack Nicholson's character was just a character I outside of like the one like the fishing scene I spent a lot of my time going like 
what is what are they trying to accomplish with this character like what 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 is he there for and what are we supposed to get out of it so uh, Mm. that was my i I don't know if it's a critique about it though because it was done well yeah essentially the the way i've always looked at it was that the the authoritarian uh way that they're being treated when he enters the picture is definitely not the way you treat any human beings yeah it is it is the wrong way to do anything but when he enters he adds an element that they haven't had and kind of a, a wild card mentality to it, which as it goes along becomes more and more dangerous, the more that he tries to buck against the system. Sure. So, so again, he is just a polar opposite of what they are introduced to, but that's also not good for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, it, and it's also, I think, um, with, there's a couple of things I think that it, it, it's he helps them rediscover their humanity, even if it is a danger. It, it, it to Paul's point, like it does become a bit dangerous. But to your, you know, your point, like what is like the lesson that he learns, or what is like what are we supposed to take away from it? Like that's the, something that I found interesting about watching the movie was it's a kind of filmmaking and a kind of storytelling that we don't really see a lot of anymore for a number of reasons where I, I am a big proponent of like, look, I I love stories that send a message that uh, make people learn something. Uh, But there is something to be said about stories about just these people and they're flawed. And like, you're not supposed to like learn necessarily anything from this character. You're just like, this is this character. This is their journey, yep. um, and this is this, this is a story in uh, that with them. Um, you know, we're it's it's we're so used to storylines that are like good versus bad. The the lines are very delineated. Mm-hmm. I was I I really enjoyed seeing a movie that was like, well, it's not really clear. It's very ambiguous as to like is you know, is McMurphy like actually a good character? He's, you know, kind of a likable rogue, but he's kind of an asshole too. And, you know, you know, nurse ratchet is a monster, but also she's not necessarily wrong all the time. Um, And, you know, these people are clearly mentally uh, ill and they should be taken care of, but also they should have their humanity kept. It's so I, there's a lot about the movie that I really appreciated for a number of reasons, just for the first time in a long time. It was like, I need to think about this character and not necessarily like what he's saying to me, what I'm, but it's like, Oh, what, like, how do I understand this character's journey? And in the relation to the storyline um, and, and, and relation to the, to the other characters, it was really nice. I'll put it this way. It was really, really nice to see a story that was just as isolated, like snapshot of these characters that had a beginning, middle and end. And you saw their arcs or lack thereof. Um, And there was a lot, and, you know, the lines, as I mentioned, are not clear. Um, The themes are things that you can discuss um, and are up to interpretation. Um, And that was really refreshing. And I really miss that kind of filmmaking. Uh, that way, I, I, you know, 
I watched it at home, so I did definitely double screen it a bit a, a couple of times when it got a mm-hmm. little slow. But that's my own that's my own fault, not the movie's fault. But it was very nice to have a movie that uh, just I, I just don't I, I haven't seen a film like that made today in a very long time. Yeah, so. so I I think what uh, you hold on, on John, yep. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah. Zach hasn't talked almost at all. <laughs> it's okay. He's so Fuck handsome. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I would like Thanks. to get to this. It's, it's, it's all right. I've kind of been um, being a, you know, wallflower on this one, listening to other thoughts, because uh, it is sometimes hard to know exactly what I think about the characters in this movie, because, you know, Murphy is a... Uh, <laughs> What he was arrested for statutory rape, so he's like he's a scumbag, and he does all these things that he doesn't really consider the other people. He just wants to, you know. At first, he doesn't consider the other people. I think he eventually, obviously, does with with Billy. Um, but I think if it were just him and and the the staff were more kind of normal people laid back you'd be just like oh, this guy's an asshole i'm not going to root for him in any way at all but because you have nurse ratchet who you know she's always listed as a villain and she's a villain in ways but not necessarily would be without mcmurphy so it's a weird kind of juxtaposition which, you got there. which kind of goes back to my original point on the cold open is that she's right, an right. antagonist she's yeah. not necessarily a villain right yeah yeah, yeah and i think and I think that's a, like the biggest thing about this movie. It's like we're so, for better or for worse, a lot of current media is heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of lost sight of protagonists and antagonists. Um, I could talk a lot about like some of my issues with certain franchises where it's like they turn a character into like a straight up villain when it would have been a lot more interesting if it was an antagonist. Right. Um, and I think, you know, there's, uh, yeah. So again, I'm, I think that's the most refreshing thing about one of the most, one of the many refreshing things about this movie for me, at least. Right. All right, Jonathan, you were going to make a point. No. So, uh, just kind of going back on what Adam was talking about earlier, I think my biggest issue and and this wasn't an issue i had with the movie but a kind of a personal issue with how this film was told was i got kind of to a point where i went am i so am i supposed to learn something from this maybe not should i take this as just entertainment should i take this movie as this is what we're getting like and like you said maybe just look at the characters themselves but then I look at the topic, like the main topic of this being mental illness and going, you can't look at it as entertainment with such a deep topic like this. Right. So having to kind of back and forth myself from that in my mind during this movie, of course, my ADHD brain is going 50 million different directions instead of actually paying attention to what's going on in the movie. Because having to look back at uh, Doc Brown, help me. Back to Mr. Lloyd. Thank you, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, looking at Christopher Lloyd and going, man, is his ears always that big? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, that's just where my brain is going. Because then I was like, from there, I was like, oh, my ears are that big. Uh, am I 
related to Christopher Lloyd? No. So that's where my ADHD brain likes to go. But it, like I said, it's just kind of back and forthing on that. Should I just take this as an entertaining film? Because if anything else, it was that, but you almost feel bad because like I said, the, the deep topic of mental illness. Yeah. So I think yeah. if we, if we want to have a lesson, you kind of said earlier that there probably aren't really many redeemable characters, but I think when you have that extreme clash of authority and reckless abandon, innocence is killed. And that's, you know, well, and that's the one thing, like the one innocent character killed himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, but also I think like to the, you know, you look at the character, the, the character arc where it does look like McMurphy for the most part, doesn't really learn a lesson. Like a lot of it for the, the majority of the film, it's like he can run away at any point. And, he, and that's clear. Like he can get out at any point, but he's thumbing his nose at authority. He's being a dick. He's sort of like having at the time of his, like doing like, you know, fucking around as much as he can. Mm-hmm. It isn't until the loss of Billy, uh, you know, when he commits suicide that, he attacks Nurse Ratchet, and he and that's like not necessarily the culmination of his character arc because Chief sort of finishes his character arc. Um, it does sort of show like he's learned a lesson. He's learned like this is not okay, and I think that's like because it's the first time he thinks really outside of himself, and, ah. I, and that's um, you know, and I could I could see your interpretation for sure, but I think that's like the fact that he sees what nurse ratchet is really like he's he he sees what she's doing and she's fake and she's like like he she understands he understands what she's doing but he really kind of understands the cost and what you know i I think the moment he attacks her is like oh he he's he's grown exponentially from where he was even five minutes before that see now i actually took that a different way okay um I actually took that as more of him being as he's always been as mm. how he's always kind of solved things. I mean, that's why he was originally in jail was for assault and things like that. And that was also nurse ratchets. I think that was when I know me personally, that when what she said to Billy before he died, I went, that woman is the most evil person in the entire film. Yeah, and then what she did, I was like, okay, she is the bad guy. She doesn't know what she's doing, and what happened happened. And I just saw him looking at that as going, "You fucking killed him. I need to take care of this pain on how I always have handled it by strangling the shit out of you." But at the same time, Billy's not in that situation for her to say that to him if. McMurphy doesn't put him sure. there. Yeah. yeah right. There's they they both are very much to blame for his yeah. death. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think there's also a a component of guilt into his strangling her because he knows if he wouldn't have fallen asleep and he would have gotten out of there mm-hmm. the way that he was going to, Billy would still be alive. Yeah. 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 Uh, we can also say uh Billy's sexual prowess is what killed Billy. Because it was only supposed to be a short amount of time, as Nick Murphy said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think there's there's a little bit of growth as far as when when you see 
Nurse Ratched talking to Billy, and you could see McMurphy's face, and he's it's dawning on him just how disgusting she is. And then he finally breaks, but he's still just... Uh, Paul said there's some guilt there, but he's still acting out against authority, and he's like, this is your fault. I don't think he totally accepts a lot of the responsibility for it. Um, but I haven't read the book. I really like to read the book. I've heard there's uh, that it's a pretty good a- adaptation. But I noticed um, Billy's stuttering and his confidence were like gone when he first comes out of the room in the morning. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. way to go, Billy. Good job. And so at that moment, I'm like, okay, what McMurphy did was good for him. It, it, it gave him that humanity. It gave him that confidence. And it gave him the camaraderie if Nurse Ratchet hadn't talked the way she did, maybe he would have been all right, but but still. Sure. Yeah. I guess that's yeah. kind of an incomplete finish of my thought, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah, sure. it, it's to that point, like it is like he does help Billy sort of grow into uh, into himself, and then Nurse Ratchet like pulls him right back. He is still complicit in Billy's death. Uh Thank you. They agree outside. Um, and they, so I think like he is still complicit in Billy's death, but at the same time, he did help Billy's, Billy move forward. And I think that's actually what is interesting about this movie in a lot of ways is, you know, there's been lots of discussions about flat arcs, like characters who come in, there's apparently a fire outside. I don't know what's going on. Um, oh, I, I assumed so, it was, it was crime. It's crime. They're they're coming for me, guys. I've been meaning to tell you, I'm actually an international jewel thief. I'm very proud of myself. I stole this diamond. Um, (laughs) Oh, wow. Man, that's huge. I know. It's really big. Uh, So while the the coppers, before the coppers come for me, um, basically... I uh wow this is loud. This is what happens when you live. This is what happens when you live like in the middle of a city, uh, right in the downtown area. Yeah, it's just Jersey. But listen, Iowa. Um, (laughs) Listen, I've had to drive and smell through Jersey many a time. So yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I'm not gonna lie. Wow, (laughs) perfect timing. You can edit this out if you need. But if you need. No, no, no. This is, this is gold. <laughs> um, so what I was, was going to say is like one thing that's interesting about the film, and I've given a lot of thought about this to other movies, is the idea of the flat arc. You know, that a character comes in and doesn't necessarily, like their, their worldview doesn't necessarily change. They enter the movie as one character. They leave the movie as another character. A good example is like Paddington. Paddington shows up and he doesn't really change but what happens with Paddington is he changes everyone. You know, through the course of this story, uh, Mac Murphy ch- helps Billy grow, even though at the expense of his own life. Uh, but also he helps Chief grow. And Chief is the one who sort of completes that arc. Um, and I think even to the uh, to the other, uh, to a large extent, a lot of the other inmates sort of learn more about themselves because of Mac Murphy, like they're playing, like a good example is the poker game, right? You saw that how the poker game began where they just didn't understand like basic, the basic economics of cigarettes to where it ends with everyone understanding how to play. They become a little bit more 
whole humans because of McMurphy's influence. Right, um, right. And I, and I think that is just, it's, there are other films that try to do that, um, that are less successful and we'll talk about them in a bit. Uh, but I think that is one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is seeing how one character can enter a situation and dramatically change things. And I think Mac Murphy does have an arc because I think he does learn to think outside himself. And I think he does uh, understand the cost of his actions to a degree. Um, and he, but uh, because again, like I think the biggest thing is he is, there's that moment where they're like, the women are like, come out, come out, come out, come out. And he stays behind. He At that point, he chooses to stay behind. And that is his growth. Um, but yeah, I just think there's a lot of, and that goes back to our earlier point where it's like, I, there are themes in the story that things you can take away, but I think it's really interesting just to see this, these characters interact. And I, that was the most exciting part about this movie is seeing how Mech Murphy comes in as one character and ends up in a completely different place, uh, even though he doesn't really change all that much. Okay, right. And uh, I, I had a thought, died of loneliness. Uh, go back to uh, uh, something Jonathan said earlier is that uh, he refuses to root for Chief now who obviously is a a victim of a form of racism and is put into this war just for not speaking yeah and so so the fact that somebody takes the time to care for him and befriend him and he repays that favor by essentially killing him because he know he knows he would this friend would not want to live the way that he is going to be living from then on. Right. I I, I find it weird that that kind of humane euthanasia is not something you would you would cheer for. Man, I don't know, dude, because he did it so easily. I don't like, think he did it easily. I think he did. I, it just, it felt like it came off to me in a shit. Maybe he did need to fucking be here <laughs> where <laughs> I, I understood his motivation for doing it. Like, yeah, McMurphy would not want to live a lobotomized life, but yeah. it, it, I just don't, I think he did it so just i don't want to speak something that isn't necessarily um i'd have to again it's one of those things i'd need to like read the script or or maybe uh the book and i don't want to assume um like native culture and stuff but i feel like he expressed a lot of sadness while he's kneeling there just like with a couple of words that he said like you feel that he's really sad they didn't want to do this but he's doing something natural that needs to be done so maybe it's that um what's the native stoicism that he's just like because they're playing the the tribal drums and stuff in the <laughs> background i mean it's kind of maybe it's heavy laid on there and implied but that's kind of what i was assuming and and, and that's and, and i could see that as well mm-hmm. i just i honestly thought where he was going with what he was saying was that he was going to stay there to be with him Mm, and yeah. then he said something like something along the lines of, I'm going to take you with me. 
Yeah. And then I legitimately thought at the very least, this big dude could, would just carry him out there with him. But no, he just decides to fucking murk him. Like, well, he meant it metaphorically. God damn yeah. it. He took, he took yeah. his spirit. No, like, I just, oh. Yeah. Like, well, also. I know I may not be going yeah. deep enough in this, but I just feel like the way it was, if anything else written, maybe give me, like, I get the stoicism that uh, Zach points out that he's had throughout the entire film. Like, that's kind of who he is. He's that blank face, show nothing. But that would have been the moment for a tear. Fuck it! It would have hurt. I would have oh. felt so much. Don't no, you go into the the Indian with a single tear shit. I know that's where you were going, but give me like I think that would have been the moment to show emotion and would have broke my ass down. And at that moment, I've been like, "Fuck yeah, I'm okay with him killing him." I, but I, I, they he, they stuck him to continue the character as he's been since the beginning. Adam, you but, had a point you were going to bring up. Yeah, I, I, one thing is is a couple of things. Well, remember the story he told about his father and how he basically compares McMurphy to his father and how he, the, one of the reasons why um, he became like deaf and dumb and sort of like retreated into himself and, stay, and stays there is because he saw how the world basically sucked his father dry and part of it was the alcohol and other things. It sucked his father dry and... It took away his his life. He was like, "You're like my father. This is what this is what became of him." Um, and then he sort of sees that in McMurphy, like at the end, where he is basically all of him has been taken out of it. Like all of who McMurphy was has been sucked out, literally sucked out of him. So then, uh, what Chief does is, yeah, he doesn't cry, but what does he do with that? Like he says to McMurphy, like, I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to continue your journey. I'm going to not sit here and let them control me the way they controlled you, the way they controlled my father. I'm breaking out. I'm literally going to pick up the marble that you tried to, to, to tear up before, smash the window, and I'm going to run to Canada. I'm finished. I, I am... I'm taking you with me. I'm taking everything you were and tried to be and move forward. So in that way, it's, you know, so there's the combination of his father, the combination of the way he's been treated his entire time there, um, that it's, it is, again, it's like, we kind of want him to be emotional because that's kind of how we are, but that it's, it's truer to his character to say like, look, I'm, I'm not going to let you suffer the way I saw my father suffered. I'm not going to let you suffer the way I suffered, but I'm going to keep on, I'm going to stop the pain now. Yeah. Not that I definitely agree with uh, killing people, but um, (laughs) I think that's, um, I think that's the biggest thing about his journey is that you sort of, and I think that's my, I think my favorite aspect of this movie is you really kind of you come to care for chief and see him grow because of McMurphy. And even though his growth kind of comes at the cost of McMurphy's life, uh, both literally and figuratively, um, it is really satisfying to see him running away. Um, and like when Christopher was like, he got out, he made it, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 it's surprisingly uplifting in his way. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, it's like, it's not, 
it's uh it's that arrested development joke like it's a complicated issue with not any easy answers and that's kind of nice yeah no and, and, and that's the thing yeah. is like i said i'm i'm cool with like and i agree with yeah. every bit of that i oh, really yeah. do i just don't like the way it was done on film i i i, I just that one little thing which kind of brings me to one thing and i want to touch on these uh kind of the film as itself uh before we move on to our judgments and things like that is, uh, especially, um, I fucking didn't notice that Martini was, uh, Danny DeVito. Neither right? did Leanne. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just looked at IMDb. I was like, wait, where was Danny DeVito? Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that looks, that looks like Danny DeVito, but it can't be Danny DeVito. This Danny DeVito didn't look at that. Like, yo, time is a harsh mistress. And no, the thing no is, other, Danny DeVito yeah. has always looked like, Danny DeVito, like yeah, I remember like seeing even him in Taxi. taxi. He did. Yeah, <laughs> which is only a couple years after this. Yeah. Um, so I don't so, know. If just like 1976, fucking sucked for Danny DeVito. But <laughs> sorry, are you ready for this little piece of fact? Danny yes. DeVito was the first person cast in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> because he, he was, was Mike, best friend. Yeah, he was like Michael Douglas's oldest friend, yeah. which is crazy. Like it, it, it's like. Um, one of my fa- it's like one of my favorite celebrity stories that you never knew were like that Mel Brooks and like Frank Langella were like really good friends for like deck for a very long time. And you're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Those two don't compute. <laughs> yeah. That's that's most of Mel Brooks though, because he was married to Anne Bancroft. And yeah. Those two together make no sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like most marriages. Right? Yeah. Fair. I mean, I I don't trust my wife's judgment just because she married me. <laughs> So, um, but when it comes to other things, we are kind of like, I think Paul had mentioned this, if it was not last episode, the episode before, where in that 70s kind of era of film, where everything kind of has that, I mean, to me personally, yellowish look to it. Um, mm-hmm. Does that 70s look? Because I know, what was it? It's the last, pollution. Yeah, it is the pollution. Um, where I know the last year, the year where where we did uh, Godfather Part Two was the last year Technicolor. I think they shut down after that. They, they stopped doing their dying film process at that year, so we're not getting like the super vibrant colors right at this time. Yeah, um, and and you know we're also getting a lot of city stuff now too, which yeah. is supposed to look more gray. Um, so it's kind of hard to look at you know who looks good in kind of the cinematography feel because everything looks dull. Not in Except the boring for Mary aspect, Linden. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's not to say that the movie didn't look good. It's just Yeah. This is a much more character and story driven mm-hmm. than than technically. That's why it yeah. didn't really win a Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And I think I think the uh the lack of color in this really helps with the monotony of mm-hmm. the the setting. So that's yeah. that's a big plus. You know, with the Godfather, it's this real sepia tone to yeah. kind of harken back to the time that it was supposed to be set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also I, one thing is this filmmaking style that I just and this just again goes to my own issues with like a lot of current movies. Like I just the like just long takes. Just mm-hmm. one oh, shot yeah. on someone's expression mm-hmm. that like, and this, and this goes to like a, a sort of cinematic story, like storytelling that like I think is kind of lost where it, it's like, you're watching uh, Mac Murphy, like watch like the conversation with uh, Ratchet and, and Billy. And like, you understand 
his thought process because the acting is so good, but also because all this, all the audio and everything around it like fills in the gaps or like when he's like sitting there waiting for Billy to, to finish boning his girlfriend, like all these little things <laughs> where I'll so much is communicated, but like these long takes and these long moments yep. without spoon feeding the audience the right. story. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it, there's a couple of things that are like, I was thinking about just in watching the movie that uh, I felt like if this was made today, but let's say like one flew of flew over the cuckoo's nest, basically the same story, but was told today. Like Billy would have like turned into be a murderer. It, it, it like that would that would have been like the version of the story they would have told. Like he would have gotten there and then he would have killed the girl who's like she's really insane, uh, or that was or, or or just a lot of the stuff that is being displayed visually is being told like it, it is being communicated both like in dialogue and in you know voice soundtrack and stuff yeah exactly you know and it's like i i miss that kind of storytelling yeah see for me it's uh, the big thing is and i kind of blame paul for this one and i want to tell you why here in just a moment (laughs) but i I see those longer shots now Mm -hmm. because me and paul one day sat down and watched the island for about 30 minutes here fuck (laughs) <laughs> and I had never known before until Paul opened my eyes that the two second action shot and the constant camera change, it hurts to see now so much. Yeah. Like that movie obviously overdid it quite a bit, yeah. but you, you get those even out of dramatic films where it would favor just that longer shot of just stay put. Yeah. Give us the dialogue. Give us the two people that are sitting there and you don't need to get the 50 angles. You don't have to show us that you did 50 angles to get there. So, yeah. I, and it's 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 a lost thing now, but uh, it's good to see when it was going on. So, yeah. Yeah, and and to Zach's point like the overwrought uh music as well. Like there's just this you know, for better or for worse. And this is something I I feel like uh, it's actually for worse. I really do think our media literacy uh, has declined over these years. And I, and I, I sound like, like the kids don't know what they're doing. Uh, like, like get off my lawn children. But it's more that like, and again, because I, I, you know, I did go to film school, so I had to study this, this shit. Um, but it is really frustrating to watch major blockbusters uh, or major TV shows where they, spoon things they have to spoon feed things to the audience that should be told in much more subtle ways like i yeah. love like better call saul and breaking bad because they do have that sort of aspect of like the of uh one flew of the cuckoo it doesn't spell everything out for you like there's doesn't like this tell one... you how to feel exactly yeah. yeah um so there's a lot like i that watching older films especially like i think you know uh up until like right around this time that i i do miss i do miss a lot um it's fair not to say yeah. that i don't not i don't enjoy what's come out now because i'm a huge fan of like like i can talk about like star wars for fucking months like you know i but at the same time it's like i do it's just sort of like the point if, if i uh, to the whole antagonist protagonist thing 
here's here's my a good example of why of where they're not doing today. And, and please tell tell me if I'm like going way off topic. No, no. So I really enjoyed WandaVision up until the Agatha reveal. Um, the moment it was Agatha all along, something broke in my brain. I was like, all right, this is good. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of with it. What I didn't like about the Agatha reveal is that it took a very complex story about grief, about overcoming uh, the loss of a loved one, of all these really deep themes um, and made it about good versus bad. And yep. it was very clear all of a sudden, like Attica, bad guy, Wanda, good guy, but has issues. Sure. Whereas there were, you know, a better version of that story, at least to my opinion, would have been, well, what if, what if Monica was the antagonist? You know, or or what if Vision was the antagonist? Or what if it was like this person that wants to help Wanda, but doesn't necessarily, but like wants to help Wanda, but she's coming from a different place. So it makes her the antagonist to Wanda's protagonist. And I, I just feel like to the, the, and to hammer the home the point, like that's my biggest issue with a lot of TV and film today. It's like, it has to be like very broad strokes, clear so people understand it where, we don't get stuff like this anymore where we, we do, but you have to look for it. Where right. It's like, you know, like ex machina. I, I think, uh, Paul, you mentioned that earlier. Um, like that's like, you don't get shit like that enough. It's like rare. Whereas once upon a time, it was all the time. Yep. yep. So I have a, a question real quick, Adam. Um, yes. I don't know if you're holding on to that thought yet, but you mentioned in the cold open infinity war, did, did you have the connection to this yeah. movie that you were going to talk about? Uh, yes, but I know Jonathan was going to say something first. I can hold on to oh, I no, talk it. Oh, no, super lost. Yeah. It's, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> well, my my issue, so Infinity War, uh, I had brought that up because it's one of those things where Infinity War is often cited as like, well, the hero's lost, and Thanos is a really great villain, and I disagree with all of those things. Um, because, and this is a not completely controversial opinion, but it's, you know, every time I say anything cynically uh, about Marvel, I lose a few followers <laughs> on Twitter, uh, which is like, whatever, <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry that I don't, I'm not a uh, Foggy's ass about this stuff, but I, uh, hope he never hears this. Um, but, uh, <laughs> my issue with infinity war is, you know, compared to one flew of the cuckoo's nest, like. One flew of the cuckoo's nest. No, uh, like the protagonist loses. He loses his fight. Uh, yes, uh, the chief sort of continues the the sort of continues the arc. He moves on. Um, and but also, Mac Murphy kind of has a flat arc, and I sort of touched, touched on that already. With Infinity War, people talk about how great Thanos's arc is. Thanos does not have an arc in that movie. Thanos's arc is, I'm I. I will do anything to bring balance to the universe. And then he says, will I do everything to bring balance to the universe? And then he ends with, with, I did everything to bring balance to the universe. And the idea of a flat arc is that, the, and I mentioned this with Paddington, the character comes in, he doesn't learn much. His worldview doesn't really change, but he changes the worldview of those around him. And that's what Mac Murphy does in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He doesn't change that much, but he inspires others to think about his life differently. At the end of Infinity War, uh, what does everyone learn? What, how, like, how is their worldview changed beyond every middle 
uh, act at the end of act two of any other Marvel movie. At the end of every other Marvel movie, the, the hero's in the back foot and they, you know, say like, all right, I'm going to save the day. And that then essentially you have a third act, which is just end game. End game is just act three of this film. Um, so no one at the end of infinity war, no one's worldview has changed. Um, you know, what have they learned that has changed how they view their universe? Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, like, like what about their universe has changed fundamentally? Not much. No. Um, so, you know, that's why I look at a film like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and I'm like, this is like, for all the conflicting feelings that we have about these characters and the choices they make, you're actively seeing these characters make choices based on McMurphy's introduction into this. If McMurphy had not been introduced into this world, nothing would have changed. They would have continued on the same way. Mm-hmm. But McMurphy coming in there, you know, yes, Billy dies, but Billy also grows. Um, you know, all the other in- inmates learn more about their lives. Chief B is able to break out of his, not only this mental prison, but this physical prison that he's been put in. When with Infinity War, they lose for five years and then it gets all undone. And, you know, they're already on the same arc they were already on. Like Iron Man is still going to like, he's always going to be like, I am Iron Man. He's going to sacrifice himself. That's the arc that they've had him on since the entire time. So it, it, I, I just don't think anything Thanos does in Infinity War changes the characters around him compared to McMurphy, who changes everything. So that was that was my Infinity War comparison. And I'm sure I'll get some hate mail, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yep, our five listeners are going to be very mad. Hey, we get much more than five. Sorry, You're six. There. <laughs> and and <laughs> apparently Kevin Feige is going to be listening to this. I would love like if Kevin Feige is like the he's like your like sixth listener. He's like fucker. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's that's where I I. I I couldn't help but think of Infinity War the entire time I was watching one uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So. Fair enough. All right. All right, gents. Well, does anybody does anybody? Yes. I do lots Quite of up. things. Yeah. Lots. Does anybody got yeah. any more notes on this film? Uh, no. We got another Caitlin shirt going on. <laughs> of course we do. Oh, you, you said the, the, anyway. No. Um, <laughs> gotcha. I wore it for Trav uh, for the Thursday episode. So we'll, oh, get, okay. we'll get there. Okay. All right. Well, Paul, uh, I think it's time to ask you if this movie is in the Library of Congress. Oh, you certainly know it is. Of course it is. And I would love you three beautiful gentlemen to give me the year it went in. Adam, if you want to guess first. I'm going to say 2002. Ooh. Okay. Oh, okay. Zach? I'll go 92. Okay, so me and Zach are tied one each. I'm going to go 96. Zach wins the price is right. But it was 1993. It goes in the oh. same year as Godfather Part Two. Nice. Oh, wow. Was Godfather? I wonder what's going to happen with Godfather Part Three. I'm curious as well. Yeah. I hope they make that movie one day. I hope so. <laughs> I I think it would get nominated for Best Picture if they did it. If they did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh. All right. So. Uh. 
1975, our films are The Buffalo Creek Flood, An Active Man, a documentary. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, I'm gonna... This is Edward Moybridge Zoo Praxographer, a documentary. Bless you. Great. Thank you. Uh, Grey Gardens, the documentary. Hester Street, Jaws, Nashville, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Quasi at Quackadero, an animated short subject. That was really fun to say. And uh, uh, something I didn't realize was in, but I'm not shocked to see it in here. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, not yeah. Dolomite? <laughs> I you keep know. telling you, yeah. they just put in Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. <laughs> They're not going to have put in Dolomite. <laughs> not that Dolomite doesn't deserve it. Sure. Just what shaft and sweet sweetbacks are the only two black exploitation films that are yeah, in so far we just broke the se- the 85 90 white people in congress so yeah also rocky horror show another show i was in yes mm-hmm. who were you i was a phantom uh, but, but they're the phantoms are real fun in the in the show because they inter- do stage the, stuff yeah. what's that zach you, you see you like interact with the audience uh, yeah, so uh, there's a whole like introduction to the show at the beginning that I got to do and uh, shouted at the audience and uh, harassed people and did <laughs> just terrible things. Um, no, like the Rocky uh, Horror Show. Like the Rocky Horror Show. I was That's actually hoping you were, I, you were either Rocky or Frankfurter. I really wanted to be Riff Raff. This, I've done it twice yeah. and I wanted to be Riff Raff the second time I did it, but I, I still have a goal of one day being Eddie. Yeah, but that's a, I believe in you. Thanks. Even though I don't really don't like the Rocky Horror Picture Show at all. <laughs> my, yeah. my brother-in-law loves it. And that's, I, that's fun. The stage I, show is fun, but the stage show is fun. It. The, the, movie, the movie's not a movie you sit down and watch. The movie, no. has to, yeah. the movie has to be experienced in a certain way, and that's always a shame to, to say about movies, but it kind of is. Yeah. yeah, it's like The Room, too. It's like one of those yeah. things where you kind of have to like have that experience. Yeah, the, that's actually something that got brought up to me with a bunch of friends where I had uh, one friend who said he's never seen The Room. I was like, honestly, you've seen the memes, which means you get the joke, so you really don't yeah. need to see the movie now. Yeah, but... Yeah, I've seen it in theaters a couple of times. Once with Tommy Wiseau was there, which is he looks like a fucking vampire. Um, <laughs> but I will say I, the best way, the best way I ever saw uh, the room was late night. I was folding laundry because I was hella single um, at the time. And it was like 12 o'clock. I'm watching Adult Swim while I'm like folding laundry by myself. And it's like this really weird movie that's playing on Adult Swim. And I'm like, the hell is this? It's like one of these weird live action things that they do like this clearly a parody of like these like sex movies or like a, uh, and, but what's crazy about it was they have the sex scene, but they can't show it on adult swim. So they have a black bar, right. And they have a black bar that kind of covers his butt and it covers her nipple. And then the black bar keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> so that by the time it was done, I shit you not, like it was like, you just saw like a bar at the top of the bar, the t- bottom of like this writhing. And I was like, this is the greatest movie I ever saw. And then I found out it was like, it was a real fucking movie. And I was like, this is even better. I I showed it to my girlfriend back when we first started dating and she got so frustrated. She's like, what happened to the cancer? But what about the cancer? And I was like, honey, it's not coming it's not, back. It's, it's not important. It's, so yeah, she's like, I can't, I'm too angry. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's so, what happened when uh when I made Jonathan and Zach watch the movie Serenity. Oh my god. 
What a weird ass fucking movie that is. I know. <laughs> oh my god. I was not drunk enough for that I one. I think I remember I constantly getting messages from Paul's like, Did you get to it yet? Did you get to it? <laughs> so get to what? Oh, you'll see. <laughs> Uh, all right so uh one more thing before we get into our judgments i said i was going to move this to here last week but uh you guys want to guess what the highest grossing film of the year was it's jaws oh, right jaws. it's jaws. Yeah. Jaws. The yeah. movie that coined the term blockbuster that's correct uh yeah uh how much did it make 133 million four hundred thousand hmm. how much is that in 2021 money a lot <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, i'm guessing about I'm guessing about six to seven. Yeah. Uh, what's really funny is, so the number two movie was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest hmm. at $59.2 million, Which wow. means Jaws did over twice that much money. Almost twice. I long for the days when over great Academy Award winning films are the second highest grossing film of the year. One hundred thirty-three million yeah. sixty. Oh, one thirty. Uh, okay, I thought you said one thirteen. Sorry, yeah, one thirty-three. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then shampoo at number three, which actually halved the amount one flew over the cuckoo's nest did at twenty-three million. That's a great film. I haven't seen it. It's a really good year. It's I. It, it's, yeah, seventy-five. Yeah, there, there was a bit. This is yeah. Every few years is like this. I'm sorry. There's like there's every few years is like one year that like it's just a confluence of like this is just the best year of movies. It's usually the nines. Usually, yeah. 1999 was a good one. Yeah, yeah, it was. 89, 89 holds a, a special significance in my heart. So yeah. I yeah. can't wait to get there. All right. So now it's time to get into our worsty judgments. There's your pause draft. <laughs> All right, so Adam, what we're going to do here is I've got a couple of questions for you. Sure. Um, first question is going to be, does this movie deserve Best Picture? Um, I think so. I think it's just because it, it's... I, I, I think by evidence by the fact that we can talk about this film in so much depth and have differing views, um, but like all appreciate, like, yeah, this is a good movie. Um, I, I Yeah. I, I can definitely see why it won. I mean, it's hard with like Jaws because Jaws is such a fucking great movie, um, and all the other movies that came out. But like, yeah, I it it's a tough year. Uh, yeah, I'd say yeah. I mean, I, I can't say no. I, that's the thing. It's like I can't say no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, the only caveat being uh, Jaws was a better is a film I enjoyed more. But I would still probably put this as a uh, best picture over Jaws. So that's about it. Um, I've not seen the rest of them. Uh, Barry Lyndon, I can only assume half of that is okay. Um, <laughs> that's their Cooper. Which is really funny because, Zach, when you brought up the whole costume, they had like pieces of the 1700s costume. I was like, was it like 50% of their costumes were? <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in Nashville, I actually couldn't find for a while because it kept pulling up that damn Heroes Chick uh, TV show. So, but yeah, no, um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. This this movie does deserve Best Picture. Zach, what do you think? Okay, so I'll look at the Best Picture nominees. Um, I didn't get to watch Nashville yet. Uh, ran out of time. I'll probably watch it uh, tomorrow, even though it'll be too late for this. But, um. 
surprisingly, Paul, it might shock you that I'm going to put Barry Lyndon at my number four. Um, shocked, shocked, I say. Because <laughs> it, I, I enjoy it, but it is. It's god awful boring. It, I, I liken it to walking through a uh, art museum, and because it's absolutely beautiful to look at, and it's very slow, and, and there's so many paintings and so many shots are based on paintings, and um, God, just the the everybody will talk about the lighting. It. From what I've heard, it's one of the most accurate films to depict a certain time period. So, like, if you were to go in a time machine, it'd probably look just like that. Um, but, no, I, I can't recommend it to anybody unless they like really slow looking at pictures and art books and things like that. Because it could have been easily 30, 45 minutes shorter and been a much tighter movie. Um, number three, I'm going to go with Dog Day Afternoon. I really like Dog Day Afternoon. Um, and I think Pacino's good, even though he is starting to veer off into his yelling stage, but it, it's a really, it's a good movie and it's got an important, um, aspect there with some of his motivations that, that were probably not really talked much about in the seventies. And number two, I'm going to go with Jaws. Jaws is just a great blockbuster movie and it's, but it's got depth too and feeling that we don't always um see in modern blockbusters but yeah one flew over the cuckoo's nest is the best movie of this year for me and deserve best picture um that surprises me yeah i would have put the apple dumpling gang as your best movie of the year (laughs) (laughs) we all do love don not (laughs) (laughs) i do have a small little story um for some people, for listeners, you may know about my aversion to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, my bad experience with it um, in high school, having it quoted to death while I was trying to watch it for the first time. I can say, uh, thankfully, it's been 10 years since I've watched it. And Caitlin was like, you promised me when you got to that year on the podcast, you're going to sit down and watch it. So we watched it and I was able to tolerate it and enjoy it. So my my... That curse of the Holy Grail is <laughs> off my back. As long as no, no, oh no, no, no. These guys are on the nice. wrong side of the mic, so we barely heard it. And that's okay. <laughs> I, I was trying not to have it be too loud. I knew that would happen. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So okay, that's my story. <laughs> All right, Paul. All right. Wow. Let me set up this visual gag that's a for a giant very audio uh, cuckoo meeting. clock with a with a, <laughs> a nest on that. Ah. Yeah. Wow. Would you look at yeah. that? Hey, I've yeah. It's a really impressive. Like what I what I love about it, like how much it looks like Jack Nicholson. I I do. Well, yeah, I know. I built this over the week. It's <laughs> it's lovingly crafted. Um, okay. So, uh, doing my rankings, I'm 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 putting Barry Lyndon down at my number five. I did I did get to watch everything this week. Uh, I don't hate this movie, but you could chop about half an hour out of the pacing and I think get a much stronger film. Uh, I, I love the performances. It's probably the strongest I've seen Ryan O'Neill yeah. in the films we watched. Cause it definitely wasn't love story. <laughs> uh, but it, it is a beautiful film. It was very easy to look at for three hours. It was just kind of, I, I double screened it a lot. As Adam said earlier, <laughs> it just, it would lose me time after time and it's like you could you could tighten this up by 
taking out a couple of these insert shots. Just come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and and I was I was fortunate to go back and listen to our uh, around the world in eighty days episode this week. Uh, where that's so odd because I was actually listening to it too. Oh. <laughs> All right, go go ahead. Go ahead. Because uh, because I I I wanted to hear what I said about another film with just a runtime that didn't need to be as long as it was, and mm-hmm. I was happy to hear myself you know talk about Hateful Eight and a couple other films where it's like something happened and you became a little too self indulgent and you didn't need to be this self indulgent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that, and I I don't think Barry Lyndon's a bad film. It's probably my favorite of Kubrick's from this era of Kubrick. And it's fine. Uh, that being said, everything else gets a one uh, first place tie. I <laughs> fucking love all of these movies, nice. and I I could not rank them if I tried. Wow. Uh, Nashville is perfect. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon is heartbreaking and beautiful. Uh, another one we could have put in the the cold open. Yeah. Uh, Jaws is possibly one of the most fun films that exists and I could watch it every day of the week and never get bored of watching it. Yep. Yeah. And Cuckoo's Nest is, is gorgeous and the performances are all stellar. I don't think we talked enough about how, how great the performances in this film are. Uh, Nicholson is top of his game. This is possibly his best performance in his career. And that's coming from a man that wanted to become an actor from seeing the Joker. I love this film. I I don't find any fault in it and I don't watch it as often as I should because it really just tears me up inside once I start thinking about themes and uh you know what happens in the film it's it's beautiful uh that being said yes it deserved best picture but if it would have been beaten by the other three films I just mentioned I would I also would not have been sad so uh, I'm Wanted to ask real quick. Have you seen The Passenger? That was another movie I meant to watch. I know it's Jack Nicholson, so... I have not seen The Passenger. Oh, okay. He's got such a lengthy filmography that I... <laughs> I could have I could have made this podcast about him instead of Best Picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. is another one, if I'd had time, I wanted to watch this week, but I didn't, so... It'll wait. All right. All right, Adam. So here's our second question, and this is kind of the... Uh, the meat and potatoes of everything that we do. Um, is this the worst best picture? No, God, no, <laughs> no. Green book is still out there, guys. So that was actually going to be my second question. <laughs> <What> is- <laughs> so that's two in a row. I think we've had our guests say green book. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, did you tell Adam about any of the, the influence of the show? Like what, what made you want to do this? So essentially, uh, Green Book sucks, <laughs> and I know it. It's it's a terrible film, and you know we'll be covering it around this time next year because mm. we have special episodes sprinkled in as well. And then one day I was sitting around thinking about the movie Forrest Gump and how Forrest Gump came out in a stacked year against entirely two the four films that I think are all just better than Forrest Gump. So giving my hand away for 1994, Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, is not one of my favorite best picture winners. And it's not a film that I think is bad per se, mm-hmm. but it's a film that I just cannot quantify why, aside from how much money it made, why that film won best picture. And of course, Oscar politicking, which I just 
try not to bring up too much unless it's a huge part of the story because that gets boring week after week like oh well this person gave the most money but it's just funny like when he when he kind of pitched it to us the green book was one of the one he mentioned mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like yeah it, it is weird like because it with the like like parasite's a good example of when the when the oscars the academy gets it right you know when it's like right. oh god thank god like i like i it, I especially lost a lot of like faith and just interest in the Oscars. I grew up watching them like, like I think we all did. And it's just become such like so much of the politicking and just, you know, random people winning like that. No movies that no one ever saw or had nothing really to say. You're like, well, okay, that one won because they were like, well, that's it's Scorsese's time. And it's like, well, probably should have won earlier. Um, But so, yeah, it's, it's yeah, the Oscars are a weird beast. I'm 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 excited to see what you guys have on this journey, especially as you get more and more to more recent films. Because there's a lot you can really say about uh the politicking and also the evolution of American society, uh, and mm-hmm. how that's uh evidenced by the films that they choose. Like I think Forrest Gump's a good example of that because Forrest Gump is like I remember loving that movie as a kid, but I think a lot of it had to do with like how much my parents loved it because that was their lives yep. mm-hmm. that they got to see re like, you know, it's a heartwarming movie um, that allows like the, the, the past to live again, which is new and exciting, especially around that time. Um, yeah. And, and for people and for people of our age range, especially it's a, a film that kind of held up what the standard of an Oscar movie was at the right. time. So, so it's shown to us, at a young age, like, Hey, this is an important film that you need to see. And that's how we take it at face value. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, off of that, uh, no, this is not the worst best picture again. Uh, no Nazi loving child grooming or bullshit circuses. So, Zach, and and would you like to spell out for Adam, what films you're referring to? Yeah. (laughs) I know definitely one of them is Chinatown. Uh, Actually, no, no. Uh, the, no, no, the Nazi no. loving was uh, the life of Emil Zola. Okay. Uh, child grooming was Gigi and yeah. uh, the greatest show on earth with their bullshit circus, which is literally a movie that is just three hours of circus. Fuck that movie so much. So, uh, Zach. <laughs> yeah. So um, greatest show on earth is still my worst because like Jonathan said, it literally was just the circus with like 25 minutes of story that wasn't very interesting. Um, and then Gigi, yeah, was, is like my number two worst. Um, Paul had, uh, <laughs> had spoiled life of Emil Zola. We were kind of like, Oh, this is an all right movie. But then he told us that it was censored the whole, the Dreyfus affair, which was about persecution of a, a Jewish man was, censored to appease the nazis so it's like fuck that movie <laughs> yeah so no this is not the worst this is in my top 10 all right paul worst best picture absolutely not uh i forgot to put it in my ranking but if i had to guess i think i'm probably putting it around number four Four between Casablanca and uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. That's, that's about where I thought you'd put it. Yeah, uh, this is 
a very important film to me. So it was definitely going to go high. So it's it's sitting just under both Godfathers and Casablanca. <laughs> well, there you go. That's Big shot. Nice, nice company. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, Adam, thank you very much for joining us here today. My pleasure, uh, guys. Yeah, man. It, this is a great time. Indeed. Uh, was there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, yes. Uh, on November 5th, I have my uh, audio drama, The Green Llama, coming out uh, from my audio drama production company called Radio Room. It's our first licensed audio drama, which is a continuation of the novels and novellas that I've been writing for over a decade now, which is terrifying when I think about it. It's the world's <laughs> first Buddhist superhero. My dad collected him. Uh, and I got to tell continue telling the stories, which is a really cool little thing. Uh, yeah. If you uh let's see this uh oh boy what can i talk about there's two things i cannot talk about that i really want to talk about um <laughs> really want to talk about them but i can't uh and uh, but if you like my opinions on films and story uh just type in adam lens garcia you'll see my stuff on amazon uh or your favorite local bookseller uh order them and you know make my publishers happy uh but also if you want to check out what i do for a day job I have a dumb Jabe job. I interview celebrities for a living. Uh, to go to Vanity Fair, sometimes Wired. Uh, you'll probably see some of my work there. Um, it's a it's a weird job, and I really like it. Uh, just found out I'm talking to Oscar Isaac in a couple of weeks, which is dumb. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> they're like, "You want to do that?" And I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" So, um, oh man, uh, we were just talking about the scenes from a marriage remake today. So that's very excited it's uh yeah uh it's literally about that movie uh so uh yeah so if you uh you know check out stuff like on those youtube channels you'll probably see something i do um but yeah the biggest thing is honestly uh november 5th real radio room uh radio room on your favorite podcaster uh really excited about this series uh the green llama it's um it's a bit of a passion project something that i wanted to do for a very long time and we got the love rights to it and uh guys it's so cool i'm just i'm not i'm saying this because i'm biased but i'm also i'm so excited about this <laughs> i'm i was listening to some edits today i'm like this is fucking good um and it's uh it's very it's very cinematic for something that's all audio um so the, november 5th uh i really hope you like it i really and if you don't don't talk to me <laughs> fair enough awesome. I, well, I look forward to it yeah, I'll link as many things as I can find right. on, you know, when you, if you're listening to this, it'll be on our um, Facebook, Twitter, and, you know, Instagram. So, all right. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us here today, Adam. My pleasure, guys. I do appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. All right. Well, my name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitter, on. I do that every time. I don't do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter and on twitch.tv at altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? you can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-D-E-R, on TikTok at House Havoc, or on Letterboxd, where you can search for my name. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films that I watch. I watched Malignant this week. Oh boy, that was a good time. I need to watch that. Oh, everybody get on the HBO Maxes and watch Malignant. James Wan is a crazy person. Uh, uh, and uh, you can follow me there at Father of the Fear across all platforms. Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Rocky, which you can stream on HBO Max 
or on Hulu with a premium subscription, or rent on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google, and Vudu. And I have vacation, so I'm going to try to watch all the Rocky films. Oh my god. god. <laughs> hey, my kids are in school now, so I just, I'm just i going to have nothing but free time all day. <laughs> nice. All right. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up a Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan at J. Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and on Facebook at the Oscarwarsky Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review like I did with four of this week's Best Picture nominees uh, on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty rhythm of Al Gore. This is the rhythm of Adam Lance Garcia. (laughs) Oh, goody. All right. For Jonathan, Zach, Adam Lance Garcia, and Martini, who is Danny DeVito, (laughs) we would like for you all to have a damn fine day.